John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 309.IS4302, certificate number 12398, the Cuyahoga River Fire. Man's mark is everywhere. Is this mark an epitaph for the Cuyahoga, the Crooked River? You know, there was a whole period where uh, futurelings thought it was hilarious uh, to count how long or to time how long it would take for us to actually mention the topic of the show in omnibus how what was the longest one if you recall futureling sort of gossiping i think bill w is the record holder and it's over an hour over an hour we talked before i actually mentioned bill w it's like an hour and 10 minutes and really I, that, to me that's not a strike against the show no it just means we were we were really building up to it. It's like jazz. There are no wrong notes in the Omnibus. There's two minutes of intro mission about Bill W., but there, uh-huh. was, there was well over an hour of Bill W. foreplay. Yeah. Uh, but lately, it feels like we've been mentioning the topic of the show kind of up front. And, uh, and I'm just going to dive right into the Cuyahoga River Fire because the story, you know, it's, it's given away by the topic. It's not like you can tiptoe around it. What if, here's an impression of how this might have gone. Okay. Ken, you ever uh, drive across a river that's on fire? <laughs> Ken, uh, how many rivers have you crossed? Have you ever lit a river on fire? You ever see water burn? You ever see a man say goodbye to a shoe? Do you yeah. like Roman gladiator movies? Yeah. Have you um, Have you ever seen a river on fire? No, and in fact, I don't believe that's a thing. Have you ever seen water on fire? Water can't be on fire. Well, that's where you're wrong. I feel like when I was a kid, I saw, uh, you know, um, magazine ads always used to be for cigarettes and liquor. Yes. And there was a picture of some cocktail, which was, uh, I don't know what the, it was a couple coffee beans at the bottom of a glass of rum maybe and then mm. the whole thing was lit on fire mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is this am i just making this up no you obviously have is not that... spent your time in uh in bars where people are are throwing flaming cocktails around i mean i'm, I'm vaguely aware that flaming cocktails exist but it, it really a couple no. a couple coffee beans at the bottom of a anyway i don't know about that but it's a, it's very popular to set your booze on fire because it burn, burns off the booze <laughs> and you can drink it then and that's why i do it not get drunk that's why i do it uh, and, and I was just amazed that this, uh, cause you know, it was, it, whatever the liquor was, it was clear. So yeah. it looked like, well, it looked like a couple coffee beans and some water, but, <laughs> but the, the water was on fire. Yeah. And I, I was mesmerized by it as a child. I mean, I'm definitely the product of magazine ads of the early seventies selling liquor and cigarettes. I mean, I can tell just by your outfit and your, and your grooming yeah. that you're a product of those yeah, ads. That's right. You, you're going to roll up your sweater sleeves and go toss a Frisbee and smoke a Newport. It was all I knew, in fact, about the wider world. I remember in, in Alaska in the seventies, pouring through magazines at these very sophisticated people you know, there were the camel ads where the guy with the Land Rover was was crossing the Darien Gap, smoking camels the whole way. He seemed cool. He always had a blonde mustache. And then uh, there were the cowboys. I think but, it was always people on boats. But there were very sophisticated people, too, in tuxedos who were drinking and smoking and laughing. They were having such a good time. And I wanted to have a good time. That was from the age of, uh, you know, successful people are wearing tuxedos. Yes. All the time. What am I, a farmer? There was a, exactly. There was like a Jeopardy ad from the early 90s, I think, where Alex Trebek dressed in a tuxedo would go around and 
do heroic things. Like he would, he would, he would save a woman from a tied to a railroad track. Really? And he'd be wearing a tuxedo. And this is obviously a post James Bond kind of view of the world. Yeah. But just the idea that people doing glamorous things will always have tuxedos on is very funny to me because really, uh, I mean, what are you going to do? Like return the rental once the lady is off the railroad tracks? It's hmm. a, it's a bit of a... No, you own the tuxedo. Even That's if you it. own the tuxedo, you're not going to put it on to, to have an adventure on a train track. The first time I ever saw tortoise shell glasses, um, you know, in the 70s, everybody was wearing weird square metal framed glasses. Mm-hmm. And there was one of these cigarette ads of a bunch of very cool looking preppy people in tuxedos laughing and one of the guys had round tortoiseshell glasses now this was before the 80s where where they became ubiquitous fashion statements this was when they were still like weird you had to be mcgeorge bundy to be wearing these cool tortoiseshell glasses and i saw them in a magazine ad and i said i don't know who that is i don't know what that is but that's me that's me and uh i got some and then when when they started to become popular my, in the early 80s, I was like, who are you interlopers? You were there early. Yeah, you fakers. My sexual preference is McGeorge Bundy. <laughs> That's right. If you if you didn't aspire to be the Secretary of State in the Johnson administration, then you don't have any right to wear these glasses. <laughs> um, the Cuyahoga River Fire. Did you know, by the way, that you can pretty much use any vowel for the first syllable of Cuyahoga? Webster's recommends Cuyahoga first, followed mm. by Cuyahoga, Schwa, Cuyahoga, and Cuyahoga. Cuyahoga. So your options are I, uh, ah, and O. It's confusing because the origin of the word Cuyahoga, 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 is is in considerable dispute. So I can see where the, I mean, on one hand, you can see where the pronunciation problem comes because most of the time, it's a case of of somebody mispronouncing a, a native name or you know a, or a sure. Italian name. In this case, uh, depending on what you think is of the origin of of the name, why you know it's just oh, I assumed Native American. It's not. No, it's white people just arguing about which mistranslation of a Native American word it is. Um, one of the uh, one of the the potential sources of the name is. Um, there's a Mohawk word that sounds not that similar to Cuyahoga, <laughs> but that means crooked river. And the Cuyahoga River is uh, a, a crooked river in, in that it start, the headwaters of the, the river are not very far from, uh, from its ultimate terminus. Oh, it just uh, zigzags like Lombard Street uh, in in the outskirts of Cleveland or something? It kind of hooks like a, like a, uh, a raccoon penis bone. Um, what's the Mohawk word for raccoon penis bone? Uh, the, the historical record is silent, uh, on what the, what the Mohawk word is. But when, um, when, uh, so it starts, it starts, uh, up kind of Allegheny forest and then around Erie and then it swings down around and then comes back out in the lake, the the problem with it having a Mohawk origin is the Mohawk never lived uh, anywhere around there. <laughs> but did they ever? Maybe one of them took a trip and was just impressed by the crookedness of this river, so he has to go home and be like, "Hey, you know the thing about Cleveland is they've got this crooked river, right?" And all the all the people that lived around there were like, all "Yeah, you know what? That's a great word, Cuyahoga." And then they're Cuyahoga. like, "Hey, do you remember when Steve was talking about like we've just got straight rivers, straight Ahoga, right?" But That's this right. one is like Hookahoga. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the Seneca Indians lived, uh, more closely, more proximate, and they have a word sort of vaguely similar sounding, not really at all, uh, that effectively means jawbone or, uh, raccoon jawbone, not raccoon jawbone, but just, you know, it's, it means hook jaw. And that would match the shape of the band. Sort of looks like the jawbone of not of a human, but of a, you know, a, whatever, a panther, uh, but without the teeth. Uh, but all oh, that seems somewhat. All these things go through French and then Spanish and then. Yeah. Did I ever do my favorite one of these on the show, which is the theory that Wisconsin and Oregon may come from the same word? Really? Yeah. Like there's some map that says the word was like reconcent or something, and that became Wisconsin. But then somebody wrote, wrote 
Urekonsant on a map and they put a hyphen because <laughs> like it they ran out of room after the N and somebody didn't see the sant and just thought it was Oregon. Yeah. And they were like, oh, okay, out west is Oregon. Got yeah. it. So it's possible that Wisconsin and Oregon are deep down the same. They're just the same the same state. They got they, t- they got Tillamook cheese versus yep. uh Cheese curds. Uh, cheese heads. Mm-hmm. And uh, other than that, it's just exactly the same. Knowing both states a little, Oregon better than Wisconsin, but knowing Wisconsin a little, I don't see any resemblance between Oregon and Wisconsin. They are dairy land. Yeah, but Oregon's not really. I mean, they make Tillamook cheese and ice cream. They make it from sea lion milk. They, well, they, they milk the sea lions. The, that, that, that factory is like 400 yards from the beach. Like, I don't know. There's not a, and then, and the mountains right above it. I don't know how you get a bunch of cows in there. You don't go to Wisconsin for the beach? The, oh, the Wisconsin the beach. Dells? Yeah. There. <laughs> uh, I definitely go to, um, when I think of the beach, I think of Lake Michigan. Uh, but Lake Erie is another great beach. There, the there is a village of Oregon in Wisconsin. So you can go to Oregon, Wisconsin. However, there is no place called Wisconsin in Oregon. I'm sorry to say. Although Oregon is maybe just another way of spelling Wisconsin. And, you know, classic Rose Bowl matchup, I guess. Uh, so there, we don't know where Cuyahoga comes well, from. Well, but there's another uh, tribe that actually... Oh, I interrupted you before the third and possibly the best theory. When is, I do this, I always put the most likely one last. This isn't even the third, or this isn't even the last. It oh. is the third. Uh, but the Wyandot uh, Indian tribe actually lived there. Okay, this one I like. And they were the only... Uh, the only uh, native population that actually lived in the region. And they have a word that sounds not really like Cuyahoga uh, that means small land. And it is. Isn't a river the absence of land? But I mean, the river hooks around and oh, sort of like encompasses a sort of, sort of little small land. The way that you always know if it's right is if the word just means, you know place you know like like the late the local tribe called it river call it river place yeah and then the final uh suggestion because because on like a, a lot of this it sort of feels like oh these are all later um some yeah. some uh, some farmers adopted it because somebody you know slurred it one time but the iroquois that live sort of in the region are actually called the cayuga tribe. Oh, I've heard that. And Cayuga... That actually is extremely close. Seems like the closest one of all of these. And but, it's the noise I won't want my car horn to make. Cayuga. But the word Cuyahoga in its, in its present form appears on French maps of the region like all the way back before the colonies even got there. Okay. It's centuries old. Whatever, whatever the game of telephone was, it ended in a year that may have started with 16. Yeah, it was a year, a long time before there were any Mennonites in the region. Um, in fact, the Cuyahoga River, very briefly, in, uh, in 1785, was the western boundary of the United States. Um, and then... We, they, See, Wisconsin and Oregon. Yeah. They, <laughs> it was the Pacific Ocean of its day. They got to the Cuyahoga and they were like, no further. And then the next person got there and crossed the river. And on they went. I would have been more like the first guy, I think. Do you, are, when you think about yourself, because of course you're, you're, uh, four, four bears, uh, kept going and continued to keep going on and on and on till you made it out till, well, till you went to Korea. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's right. But do you think that you are, uh, do you, do you have the disposition of, uh, if you're, if you're in your Conestoga wagon, not my Cuyahoga wagon. Uh, and you arrived at a river, would you say, eh, let's build a house? Or would you continue on? I am Mr. What's on the other side of that river, as my family knows to their annoyance when they try to go hiking with me. You're like, what's on? Come on, one more river. Yeah. I, and it's, you know, you're on a hike and I, I, I often will be the one who has top fever. Like, well, we can't stop here. The... The trail ends uh, sure. half a mile up there. Sure, the false summit seems to appear to be right, <laughs> right. over there. <laughs> and then, the, but then I am Mister. Hey, there's another false summit. Look right. at that. It's not. This wasn't the summit. Onward. Got us. Got to go a little further. What if we miss the good thing? Excelsior. The good thing is up there where there are no trees. And I don't believe the good thing has ever actually come between 
my wife wanted to turn around and me wanted to turn around. I'm like, oh, for 50. You're, you're chasing the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Sure. It's, you're not going to catch it, Ken. It's receding in front of me. It's right there, but it's, you're never going to, it's like, uh, if you cut, if you fold a piece of paper over and over, you know, you're, you're never going to get there. I'm never going to get those Skittles. Cut each number in half and you will never reach infinity. Yeah. Or zero. That's the Hilbert, uh, 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 origami. Yeah. Um, but once settlers settled there and, um, and the original settlement at the mouth of the river, which was a kind of, you know, Delta, like most rivers, when they entered a lake sort of spread out and became a marshy Delta. It's part of the, uh, it's part of the rhythm of life that a river creates this, uh, verdant swamp. Is that what you think of as the river, as the rhythm of life? The rhythm of life is the, the rivers make swamps. We sow the seed, nature grows the seed, and then we eat the seed. Where do the swamp rivers come (laughs) in? Also, you know, the water goes up, the water comes down, the water goes up, the water comes down. It's the water cycle. Um, I don't know if that's the rhythm of life. What do you think the rhythm of life is? The rhythm of life is like lions eat zebras, zebras eat grass. Grass eats worms, worms eat lions. Is it, it's the, it's the, it's Rhythm Nation. It's the. Yeah, we're a part of the Rhythm Nation. River of Life is. In this case, the rhythm of life is water goes up, water comes down. And that, uh, because that, because this is my show and I'm going to bang that tambourine. But the original settlement there on the Cuyahoga became the great city of Cleveland. Originally spelled weird. Cleveland was named for a guy, like an early settler named Moses Cleveland, I think, who had an extra E in his name. C-L-E-E-V-E? C-L-E-A-V-E, like cleave-like, to cleave in two. Yeah, right. And then when the city was named after him, I guess it, they just misspelled his name. (laughs) That seems to be really how things get named in this country. This says one theory is that his own surveying party misspelled his name on their map. Yeah. Boy, get a, get a better surveying partner, Mr. Wealthy, uh. Connecticut surveyor. I don't know if you've ever read the journals of Lewis and Clark uncorrected. But their spelling is... But Meriwether Lewis is... uh, He spelled words differently every time he wrote them. Probably including Meriwether. Right. M-E-R-R-Y, M-E-R-R-I. Spelling was not an exact science back then. Whereas today it's our our most important way of... um, you know, uh, dismissing an opinion. Right. If somebody put an extra apostrophe in it's herp derp, I don't be like, Oh, mm-hmm. you suck. Jefferson paid for Meriwether Lewis's education, but Jefferson had other stuff going on. And, uh, wait, is that true? Yeah. Jefferson paid for, is Meriwether Lewis, Thomas Jefferson's illegitimate son? It doesn't appear so. It mm-hmm. appears that Thomas Jefferson took, uh, became Meriwether Lewis's patron at a young age because he, he had a, he had a single mom and he was precocious and Jefferson was like, you know what, son, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a job here, uh, like shucking corn or whatever, and then put him through school. Except he kept lo- leaving school because he had other stuff to do. But this is not about Lewis and Clark. I want a cool young friend named Meriwether. Right? I don't, I don't know a single person named Meriwether. You know, everybody's named Caden and Jaden and and Shaden. Meriwether's going to come back. It's due. If I had another, if I had another child, and that child was a boy child. Um, I would. Meriwether works for any gender or non-binary. It's the perfect name. It's we all we all true. like things that are merry. Meriwether. We all like uh, when the weather is merry and it makes us feel merry. You could name any child Meriwether. You could name so. what? You could name your next dog Meriwether. That would be, that would be pretty. Sly. I mean, we live in a part of the country where Mary, Mary, and Mary are all the same pronunciation. But Lord of the Rings really legitimized calling him uh, a boy Mary as long as you spell it the Merry Christmas way. Right, right. So, and as long as that child is a hobbit. Yes. All children start out as hobbits. Uh, the Cuyahoga, once it was established, once the city of Cleveland was, or town of Cleveland was established there, mm-hmm. it was recognized that uh, the Cuyahoga was going to be a river of industry, a river of commerce. And in fact, as early as 1822, no. 1827, uh, the mouth of the river was dredged and reshaped by what would have been a nascent Corps of Engineers. To build a, because otherwise it wasn't fit for building a city and port on. Well, yeah, because it wasn't navigable because the, you know, it got shallow and, 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 and fanned out. And so in order to, 
I got shallow and fanned out. I know. So did I starting at about age 38. Um, so the, so 1827, you know, we were already, uh, engaged in building big projects in the United States, big water projects. I guess they drained DC like 40 years before that. Uh, if you, if you think about the Erie canal, it's built and opened in exactly this period of time. And, uh, Possibly by the same contractors. Right. And, and get those Ukrainian guys that did the uh, Erie Canal. Get them over here to, to Cleveland land. Cleveland also on the on Lake Erie. Yeah. So this was a big this was a big time for dredging out things and, and building waterways to move barges. And even though the Cuyahoga is short, does it go long enough that this is gonna be a useful way to get timber or whatever out of uh out of northern Ohio? Yeah, well the the, the Cuyahoga goes up past Akron. Hmm. So you're halfway um and then uh, it goes into your mom's least favorite part of Ohio, then. Yeah, that's right. It passes the, <laughs> passes the Roderick line, uh, Roderick Dixon line. It does, and um, oh boy, we're we're into something now. Uh, Pittsburgh, does it have a not Petersburg? Petersburg. We need to leave this in of you spelling <laughs> Pittsburgh Penisburg or whatever just happened. Um. So, you know, P- Pittsburgh is the convergence of the Monongahela, the Allegheny, and the Ohio. That's why they have three river stadium. That's right. They're always bragging about how they have more rivers than other cities. That's, I mean, how many rivers do you have to have to, uh, to, you know, to challenge Pittsburgh? I mean, really, three river stadium, it's where those three meet to become the Ohio. I would have called it four river stadium. Uh, the thing is that, yeah, the it's kind of not fair to say that it's three rivers because two of those rivers become a third river. Oh. Right? Like the Ohio isn't running backwards and it's like, hey, fellas. Oh, I thought three rivers met there to become the Ohio. No? Uh, my sense of it is um, no. I think you're probably right. And you're right. Then they are cheating. That's stolen valor. Yeah, they're kind of cheating. But- but if you think about uh, if you think about where the Cuyahoga goes, you know it gets you up into that sort of Akron Canton, uh, and then you've got Youngstown over there, and it's really not that far from Pittsburgh. So, thank it, you for coming to our podcast. John looks at a map of Ohio. <laughs> Shush. If you think about how you're going to move the uh, if you're going to move stuff from Pittsburgh to New York City. Uh huh. You can put it on the Ohio River, but where are you going? You're going down to the Mississippi. You're going all the way around. What or you, you want to do. You schlep it up to, to the Great Lakes. Yeah, to the Great Lakes, and that's going to get it out of there. So the Cuyahoga had a, you know, this was an area that was that was industrializing pretty early. This was going to be the the uh, the factory region of the United the States. The factory basket, the we factory call it. The factory basket. Um, so it did become the factory basket, and... You know, the Cuyahoga River fire uh, was one of the first, it was very early on on our list of omnibus topics, and I think when Futurelings first started pitching ideas to us, everyone started with Cuyahoga Cuyahoga fire, Fire. and so I resisted doing this show because I don't like to serve any master. You got to serve somebody. I don't like pleasing people. It might be the devil or it might be Cleveland. No, I don't. I don't. You know, if you want a thing, then I'm going to withhold it. That's why I'm not married. Uh, But eventually, you know, Cuyahoga River Fire is so omnibus. It's so deeply omnibus. And in a way, so deeply American. And America (laughs) and and my half of omnibus. I mean, you could have done Cuyahoga Fire as easily as I, but... It really seems more like a John. Than yeah, Urban can. Decay is more you, right? Yeah. Um. So I'm more like suburban enemy. Yeah, and if you know, if if there was an element of the Cuyahoga River fire that produced some early computer, maybe it would, you know, you'd be you'd find a connection. I mean, that would be really weird. But, what, what a weird computer that would be. But emerging from the fire, like like the like the liquid metal Terminator. In fact, the Cuyahoga River fire produces '70s environmentalism, which is oh, right in my uh, breadbasket. There's a silver lining, right in my in, uh, industry basket, instead of a silver Terminator. The thing about the Cuyahoga River fire is that there is one really famous one. Um, I thought there was only one. Well, that uh, the title of the show would suggest that's true. But in fact, uh, the Cuyahoga River uh, caught fire 13 separate times. Here, let's do this again. 
You have accessed entry 309.IS4302, certificate number 12398. The Cuyahoga River fires. Yeah. That's what it that that's what it should have done. Uh but uh but here but we're going to specifically talk about one fire that changed the world. But can you tell me in a more general way why this I mean my point of view on rivers is that they don't most of the time they're not on fire is my experience with a river. Why does this one river keep getting set on fire? Well, it's a slow moving river and um and so uh and combined with the the sort of way that it was dredged um and you know kind of the the it, it became a sort of brackish slow river that also had uh industry built up all around it and not just you know steel industry but we're talking about um uh the discovery of oil in Pennsylvania right happened in about 1860 right before the civil war and so all of a sudden you've got this brand new um industry springing up there's an oil rush and all of the petroleum products asphalt uh you know the the kind of um wh- what became petrochemicals it's getting processed in Cleveland yeah in a lot of the the upriver industries and this was at a time when everybody just threw what they weren't using into the river and so the first major Cuyahoga River fire was in 1868. Wow. All the way, set the way back machine to all the way back. But this did not wake them up. They weren't like, wait, the river is not nature's garbage can. Uh, no, it did not. They, uh, this was probably at a time when uh, rivers caught on fire all the time. Uh, although there's not a ton of, um, there, there's the history. Historic record is somewhat silent on all the other rivers that caught on fire, and it would have been silent on the Cuyahoga Fire of 1868 because it was it was not really uh, it didn't make the papers, or if it did, it was you know it was under an advertisement for mentholatum. <laughs> <laughs> is this the kind of thing where only retroactively, once the famous fire happened, uh, historians unearth other examples? Yes, and uh, and that's dramatically true because there were 12 uh, times the river caught on fire between 1868 and 1968. Well, somebody was keeping a list. Some old, uh, uh, what, port keeper. What's the word for that? Yeah, port keeper. Harbor harbor master. The harbor master. (laughs) The harbor master. There we go. Uh, I think it was one where... um, He's chewing on a pipe made out of a a raccoon penis bone. I bet you it was a Kent State student Mm. who, angry about the recent massacre... And, uh, and <laughs> creating a composite character for a TV pilot, <laughs> uh, went to the library, went to the Cuyahoga port library and said, just exactly how many times has this happened? Um, the largest river fire. And now we're talking about, I mean, Cleveland was not just a petrochemical, uh, locus, uh, but also this was, I mean, Warren, Ohio, um, these were steel, manufacturing uh, places. These were auto manufacturing places into the mid 20th century. The dumping in gunk and flammable gunk. There was gravel being manufactured and like salt. I mean, this I was- I feel like I can make gravel, by the way. Like I can't make a car. Go on. Uh, just give me a rock and a hammer. I'll make you some gravel. How you know what? I've used more gravel in my front in my garden than you could make in a lifetime with look, a hammer. Look, I'm not saying I'm good at it. I'm yeah. not saying I can- um, I'm not saying I can out-manufacture the big boys yeah. in the industry, but I feel like I'm going to give you a kind of personal attention with me and my hammer that you're you're just not going to get. Yeah, Ken and from, his hammer. From, from Big Gravel. He hammered on the mountain. It's like that Dave's Bread or whatever. There's a cartoon of me holding a hammer, and it says, <laughs> Ken's, Ken and his hammer gravel. Yeah, Ken's artisanal gravel. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about gravel on a future omnibus episode. Yes, I love when you do this, the just common noun. Yeah, gravel episodes. is gravel is if, going to If you liked drywall <laughs> and lint. <laughs> no, we didn't do lint. No, but we are going to do gravel. In fact, we may do gravel next week just because, you know, I don't I don't want people to be like, what are they going to say about gravel and run out and google it. They already did. No, don't do it. Stop right now. Don't google gravel. No, keep the surprise. Keep your minds fresh. Guess what, John? I was on a boat this weekend. No, 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 no. I'm not a boat owner, but I know someone who has a boat. (laughs) And I wore 
my Mack Weldon kind of long sleeved sweatshirt. Oh, I know you love that sweatshirt. Over a pair of uh, over a pair of white shorts, and I looked and felt great. Now it's warm here. Now it's summer, but you were out on the water. You needed a garment that was both warm but also not. I thought too I could warm. I could roll up the sleeves when it was sunny out. But then if it this was in the evening, if yeah. it got chilly around eight, I was going to roll down the sleeves. And guess what? My plan worked. That's exactly perfectly. I, I, ex- I had a plan. Yeah, and I executed the plan. How uh, how did you fare against the mosquitoes? Uh, not a lot of, not a lot of mosquitoes around here. Do you think I should have used the silver threaded Mack Weldon fabric? Does that? Oh, that protects you from vampire mosquitoes. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Out on the water. We don't have a ton of mosquitoes. We're not like uh, some, we're not like Saskatchewan. We're lucky. Yeah. We're we, lucky. We don't now. have tornadoes. We don't have mosquitoes. We don't have crocodiles, but we do have access to Mack Weldon. Quality Mack Weldon clothing. We love Mack Weldon. I'm wearing their, uh, I'm wearing their clothes right now. Their socks and their underwear. Ken likes their, their, I like their outerwear. Their outerwear. I have and, like sw- shirts and sweatshirts. I like their innerwear. Uh, you could do both. Be a John and a Ken. They have a free loyalty pro- program where the more you buy gets you, uh, the more you save. They have a lot of cool, like customized fabrics, technology fabrics, 18 hour silver air knit X dry near dry warm near. knit dry near is D R Y capital K, but all one word D R Y K capital K N I R. I strongly suspect this is a typo and it's actually dry knit. Dry near sounds like it's a kind of yogurt. Is it? Well, yeah, dry knit does seem much more well, like a product. It's either dry near or dry knit. Uh, let's just on. say Let's that. just say Mac, well done, dry, and then it is dry knit. Okay. So don't don't drink the the yogurt dry near. No, don't go to dry near. That's a terrible that's a terrible typo, especially considering how much we love uh, Mac Weldon products. Just try it out. If you don't like your first pair of underwear, you can just keep it and get a refund. No questions asked. Their totally free loyalty program, even at level one, gets you free shipping for life. Wow! And once you reach level two by spending only two hundred dollars, you get twenty percent off every order for the next year. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com slash Omnibus and enter promo code Omnibus. That's MacWeldon.com slash Omnibus and enter promo code Omnibus for 20% off super cool underpants. MacWeldon reinventing men's basics. The largest of all of the recorded fires on the Cuyahoga River actually happened in November of 1952. Not the famous one. No, this is not the famous one. This one uh, this one was a major fire. It burned uh, boats. It um, it's very, very dramatic looking f- with the you know flames five stories tall coming off the river. Well, well, paint a picture for me. When a river catches on fire, is it, are we just imagining like a part of the river that happens to have the pools of the pools of uh, asphalt petro gunk? Or like, is it a diffuse enough in the water that pretty much the width of the river is on fire? Have you watched a World War II movie where a, where a submarine from a wolf pack sinks a, a, a tanker? Sure. And then all the crew are in the water going, help, help, as the... F- as the fire rages around them. Those are often not that convincing. It's well, because it's hard to film people in flaming water without jeopardizing the actors. See that? I never get that. They'll make more actors. Well, sure. But you know, if you're, I mean, think about, especially if if the guys playing U-boat crew, if it's just a bunch of central European guys playing German U-boat officers, they're replaceable. Just light the thing on fire. That would be extremely traumatic. I think if you were a, if you were watching a film and you saw actual Central Europeans being burned in a in an oil fire, you're not trying to kill them. And I'm not saying you'd put in like Christoph Waltz or like somebody you recognize. None of the good ones, right? Yeah, don't put good ones. <laughs> Just some guys from Belarus. So is it like kind of are, are there uh, are there like areas of fire and then areas of non-fire? So, or is so, it one big circle of fire? What happened was the the petrochemicals that were being deposited into the river over the course of many decades, um, along with untreated sewage and every other kind of uh, effluent that came out of just giant pipes, including cyanide and paint and mercury from all these industrial processes, 
Um, because the river was slow moving and had a bunch of bends, it would coagulate. And so you'd get these giant mats of kind of globular, not just, not just, uh, petrochemicals, but then mercury and other, you know, like terrible things. And then garbage. Oh yeah. Like the, 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 the glob, globs of oil would. Paper and stuff. Yeah. Oil cans and old boots. You know, it would be, it would just turn into these giant mats that would kind of get caught, um, and, and keep collecting more and more gunk. And then over the course of the river that's moving, you have that shimmering layer of oil and gas. I remember uh, one time I was, my dad drove out to some business where I think he was dating the woman that ran the office. And we drove out. This you, was, you had to sit in the outer office for an hour, swing your legs in the little chair that's while, the while thing. weird noises came from. Right. So this was out inside. on uh, on Lake Otis, uh, back when Lake Otis was not a paved road. So if you went past Tudor on Lake Otis, past the YMCA, but not all the way to the DMV. On the right-hand side, um, there was like a, and these used to be ubiquitous in Alaska. It was a brick one-story building or a cinder block one-story building. And next to it, there was a yard that had 15 uh, caterpillar tractors and backhoes that were just parked inside of a fence. This is how I imagine Anchorage. Yeah, and this is how it was when I was growing up. There's and a people, Starbucks at the corner of Lake Otis and Tudor now, so... Well, so Lake Otis and Tudor used to be a used to be a, a furniture store, and their and their song, their little jingle was Lake Otis and Tudor, a pretty jazzy little like, come by the furniture store. That does really trip off the tongue. But the YMCA, if you keep going down Lake Otis, I think you can find it there. Uh, there's a Y on the on the left hand side of the road. If you go past, not all the way to Debar. Which way am I headed? You're headed south on Lake Otis. Okay. If you head north on Lake Otis, you're going right past my house. But there's a, do you see the YMCA across? The I do. St- yeah, it's okay. by the Lutheran Church. So right across I don't know from why I'm following this. <laughs> oh boy, now where are we going? Right across the street from the YMCA, there was this there was this place, and my dad would go there to see this woman. She had red hair, and it was absolutely like you're saying. He would go into her office. They would close the door, and I would be sitting on a on a on a plastic chair that was salvaged from an airport. You're playing one of those little handheld baseball games where you shoot the oh, ball no, bearing that, into the outfield. That was before those existed. I was, and I was just swinging my legs and, you know, and, and it was one of these like, Hey kid, go play in traffic type of things, except traffic was this dirt road. So I went out one time into the, into the yard of, uh, caterpillars, like, you know, D nines all parked in a row. Right now it's not caterpillars anymore, but it is still a vacant lot of cars. Is that right? Yeah. Well, so there were there used to be all these all these backhoes and whatnot. They were probably grading the the roads that went from Lake Otis. Yeah, and there was a backhoe that had its that had its shovel kind of tucked up. Uh, you know, it had been put in the the lotus position, and the shovel was tucked up, and it was full of water. I don't think it can be a yoga position if it's a backhoe. <laughs> the, <laughs> the backhoe was doing downward facing dog. Uh, the, 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 the hoe was fill, filled with water. And at this point in my life, you know, I always, I was a pyromaniac and I always had firecrackers in my pocket <laughs> and I always had matches because, Ken, there used to be cigarette machines everywhere. Right. And cigarette machines had a little button on it that would give you a free pack of matches with every pack. Oh, I didn't know that. If you if you bought a pack of cigarettes, you could There's push an a extra button. separate button and it would throw a pack of matches down. And that was where my matchbook collection started. But that's a lot of outlay just get a pack of matches. This is when your, your dad's buying cigarettes? You no, dad didn't a... smoke at this point, but uh, but everybody in Alaska did. Oh, you'd hang out? And the thing is that most people buying a pack of cigarettes didn't need the matches. Oh, so it's like the coin return button. Yeah, they had a Zippo or, or whatever it was. But you would just come up, even uh, uh, an hour later, the yeah. next person to use it could still push the button. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so everywhere I went, I pushed the change return on phone Phone boots. I did that, and I pushed the matches button on uh, on cigarette machines. Well, there were cigarette machines everywhere, so I always had matches, and I always had firecrackers. Although that wasn't uh, the the grownups weren't supposed to know. What halcyon days for a young pirate? Oh man, it was so great. Uh, but you know, I, I didn't grow up in the fifties, so I didn't have a, a Red Rider BB gun with me. But anyway, I was out in the 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 yard with the tractors, and I started lighting matches. 
um, just, you know, in the way that you do where you light a match and it burns down to your finger and then you, you throw it out. And I threw a match in the bucket of this backhoe and it went, <laughs> and all of a sudden it was this giant flame because someone had put gasoline. Oh my gosh. I don't know why you would, you would have like gas that you wanted to save, but didn't have anywhere to put. So you put it in this, ba- and then all of a sudden the whole bucket was on fire. Well, you know, a uh, backhoe is a hydraulic powered thing. And so this backhoe is on fire and, uh, and I'm just like reveling in it. Like I have done oh. it. I have done it. I thought you would panic. No, I was like the wizard, you know, with like, I'm conjuring this. You're about to find out how fast your dad can get his pants on. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> they came up because they're, you know, peeking out through the blinds or whatever. They came running out like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I don't know. I don't remember how they put out the fire, but it was, this was one of many times that I caused some coitus interruptus in my dad's life. But this may be the only time using a backhoe. Uh, oh, yes. All right. The only time using a backhoe, not the only time using fire. <laughs> but so you can set a, you can set a, a body of water on fire. And in most cases, because there were railroad bridges crossing this span of the Cuyahoga, more than one railroad bridge, it was usually just a spark from a passing train. Um, the fire in... Right, sparks uh, from train wheels. Right. The fire in 52 um, caused like what would be now uh, millions of dollars in damage. Um, you know, it... it uh, burned up some tugboats. It's, it's, it's going to go to the, yeah, and it'll go to the wooden docks, one would think. And that's what happened, right? It You'd burned. Like the whole waterfront. It uh, it was a it was a big catastrophe, but. The, you, luckily, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame wasn't there. Yet. Not there yet. They had the the National Folk and Bluegrass Hall of Fame <laughs> they, there in the 1880s. Not, not even that. It was the, uh, yeah, it was the like crooner Hall of Fame. <laughs> Jug Band Hall of Fame. <laughs> which burned and no one, no one noticed or cared. Um. But this was the this was the height of the industrial age, right? This was when manufacturing was king. Uh, there's a famous photograph of a factory in Texas where they powered. It was a power plant that was powered by burning old batteries, and the smoke that's coming out of this thing. I think that's how Texas's power grid still works. Yeah, from right. what I read in the papers, just throwing old batteries. You know, burn, people were burning tires. It was and and also absolutely no regulation in terms of. Cleaning up the world. As Reagan would call it, the good old days. The good old days. Uh, but it wasn't, it was only 10 years later that that uh, Silent Spring was published. And we've re- referenced that a couple of times on the Omnibus. Um, the, the, the dawning realization that we were uh, making the world uninhabitable um, – and in with the, technology, it wasn't just like yeah. it wasn't just like previous nature movements, which is like, um, don't shoot the little deers and don't pick the little flowers or or even more european like go back to nature to find your essential you know your your uh your native essence now the um now the metaphor is poison yeah. we are poisoners and it, and it was accurate it was accurate uh there was a there was a, a survey of the cuyahoga during this period where it was uh it was revealed that no life uh, there was nothing alive. It's like Jupiter. Yeah. No microbes. Nothing. The only life that they could find was a uh, an algae called Oscillatoria, which was growing on above the water on the pilings of various piers. But it would die in seconds as soon as the water sloshed yeah. onto it. And they and it, you know everybody that worked around there was like, if you fall in the river, uh, you go to the hospital. Man. And so. Uh, you know, and you could see like visibility in the river was a, a question of inches, right? If you like even put your hand in the river, you couldn't see your fingertips. So this was true all across the United States. Um, but the Cuyahoga and the Cuyahoga was not yet a symbol of it. Uh, Silent Spring and the envi- the sort of early environmental movement, um, you know, this this gained and gained in popularity in 1968, um, U.S. Uh, or I'm sorry, Washington Senator Henry Jackson, Scoop, who, who was um, who was my father's mentor, one of my father's mentors, went to law school with my dad. Not mentor, friend. He was there. They were friends. What am I talking about? Mentor. They were the same age. They were uh, they were pals. So they all went to their my dad and his our their wives. My mother 
they were all beloved like, deliverer of pork to the state of Washington from the United right. States Senate. And they did a lot of dancing. You know, it was it was a it was a high old time. He uh, sponsored hearings in the Senate in '68 about creating kind of a national environmental program. Oh, interesting. Yeah, uh, and this was I didn't realize that was. Yeah, this was because there was no EPA at the time. There was no EPA. There was no. I mean, environmental protection was only just becoming a national question. A sense that, like, wait, we can't. You know, we can't uh, just have local municipalities try to clean up the Cuyahoga. That's insane. That that's in your lifetime. Yeah. That we think of the environment as a. I mean, it really shows how screwed we are. That in John Roderick's lifetime, the discovery came that. Uh, environmental cleanup might be a large-scale problem. That's right. That And it was, you know, it was, yeah, only just before I was born that it even occurred to anybody. And Silent Spring, of course, was talking about, um, you know, heavy metals in, you know, appearing in wildlife. DDT and pesticides. Yeah. And that bird eggs. Killing bird eggs. But But the idea that we couldn't live in cities anymore because they were choked with pollution was pretty new. At this point, very- and probably driven by uh, like the the assumption of affluent suburban Americans that uh, well, of course, cities are hellholes. Yeah, as God intended. Right, as God intended. Right, that's how come we can live in this suburb. Yeah. Uh, right about this time, uh, Cleveland elected its first black mayor, Carl Stokes. That's early for a major city. That's that's probably before Andrew Young or yeah. Quite, and he was a uh, he was a progressive and a real powerful voice. His brother Lewis Stokes was uh, elected to the Congress during this same period. So this is you know it's all like you're saying elected to the Congress, like you're um, you're the music man or something. <laughs> elected to the, he went to the Congress. <laughs> like what year did the the leave Congress? Like it's it's got to be like 1870s, a long time before <laughs> it left the Ukraine. Um, and the the two of them, and so. Carl Stokes as part of his program for Cleveland because he was a colorful and and you know and, and civil rights era like big city mayor mm-hmm. he started to draw attention to the the pollution in the Cuyahoga as one of his major platforms like we need to Cleveland is an absolute disaster area and in order to make it a habitable place again we need to direct attention to the pollution in the river. And he was, uh, he was, and his brother was kind of sponsoring this kind of legislation. And then disaster strikes in, on June 22nd, 1969, um, which weirdly is a, after a couple years of Carl Stokes actually cleaning up the Cuyahoga, they had implemented local policies about dumping, They'd been working hard to, to, um, to clean up the river. Still, a spark from a passing train falls on a, on a greasy mat. Same old, same old. And the river catches fire. And it... Here we go again. <laughs> yeah, They're all like, daisy. The fire is, is nowhere near the extent of the fire in 52. Uh, it burns one railroad bridge and makes it, you know, the, like it ruins one railroad bridge. It kind of scorches another. Um, there aren't any photographs of it because by the time someone with a camera raced down there, it was already under control. It was out. Um, do these fires put themselves out or do fire? No, you kind of have to. Trucks are dispatched. Yeah, you get out there. The fire department kind of works on it. I don't know what you do. You know, you pour water on it. Yeah. There's already water all over it. <laughs> you uh, probably throw sand at it. I don't know. Um, and again, it was a local problem. It didn't make the national news. It just sort of, the river smoldered and, um, and Carl Stokes, you know, like said, Hey, this is, and he tried to make it. And with his brother tried to make it a national issue, called it out and crickets. Fired a lot of fire under Congress. Yes. Under the Congress. <laughs> Cause they'd already lit a fire under the railroad bridge, but nothing happened until a couple of weeks later, time magazine who, and time was inaugurating a new section of the magazine in response to this movement, um, called the environmental section. And oh, it, interesting. It was really just, you know, a page or two about like, um, the idea is this is a beat now. This is a beat. Yeah. Like what's happening. And, and you know, and this is the type of thing people love to read in magazines. Even then, like here's a picture of a giant 
mm-hmm. waste dump. How do you like them apples? Yeah, I remember this from the garbage barge entry. You know, yeah. people do kind of love their fear porn of, and it's sad, clear-cut trees. And yeah. It, 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 you know, it really sells the movement when you see the photographic evidence. And this is the dawn of 25 years of what you think of as localized disaster porn. So uh, acid rain is killing these trees in, in, uh, up in, by Toronto. And killer bees are, are coming in from the south and garbage barge and a three-mile island. All of these things are kind of just prior to the disaster porn that we have today, which is everything is dying. The West is in drought and on fire, but the world is – humans aren't going to survive, right? That's the, the current iteration of what, what used to be. Sure, a, and in a sequel, you always want to up the stakes. Right. This is, this yeah. is screenwriting 101. <laughs> But so Time Magazine writes an article about this Cuyahoga fire, but they put a picture from the 1952 fire in the article. The 1952 article where the flames are five stories tall, the bridge is on fire, boats are burning. Um, It's like a, it's really a killer. If you're going to put a picture of a river fire, that's the one. How can we sleep when the boats are burning? Yeah, there you go. To coin a phrase. And so, and they don't say this is, a picture from 52. No, they say... <laughs> America falls for it. A big fire happened on the Cuyahoga River. Can you believe it? And it suddenly enters the national consciousness as maybe the preeminent example of how far we've fallen. And Even though it's funny, because this is entirely consistent with something that's happened since the 19th century and is getting better. Yeah, this is 100 years of river the river catching on fire, and now actually Carl Stokes has been working to... to remedy it. And what, uh, what makes this, uh, this article land so hard is this is right after the moon landing. Oh, so it's just like, we can put a man on the moon, but kind of rhetoric. Well, and also, uh, right after Chappaquiddick. And so, which is another, uh, sorted river tale. Same week, same week as the moon landing. And so the astronauts missed it. They, to this day, they think Mary Jo Kopechny still alive. Yep. Yeah. Buzz Aldrin's like, why won't she call me? Yeah. Ugh. Uh, but what, what, what makes this uh, interesting is that this article with the giant picture of the burning boat appears in oh, the time magazine, in the most sold time magazine in decades. It's got Ted Kennedy on the cover and it's got stories of the moon and so this, yeah, this this is flying off the shelves, and then in the brand new environmental section, it's like, and guess what else? The river's on the fire. The river's on fire. To add insult to injury. And so this, you know, really uh, takes Scoop Jackson's uh, environmental committee. It makes this this kind of one event uh, galvanizes the public opinion, or rather, galvanizes. Public opinion doesn't need doesn't need in the, the. Congress. It, it Does the Congress take note of the public opinion? The public opinion, and in quick succession, uh, the Environmental Protection Agency is uh, is formed and signed into law by none other than that that uh, legendary environmentalist champion Rick, of the left, Richard Nixon. This has always been a pro Nixon podcast. Yep, that's right. And we love the EPA, don't we, folks? God bless him. And then in uh, in 1972, the Clean Water Act is passed. Again, very much uh, sort of uh, propelled by the experience of the Cuyahoga River catching on fire. And so this is really just being driven by a real public outcry. People are, yeah. people are now outraged and urgent about this, and the government has to be— I mean, and this was a time when government of both parties would actually try to solve problems right. instead of to you know, make the other guy look bad. Yeah, it wasn't—I mean, Nixon didn't say, this is a bunch of hippies. <laughs> right. uh, Once again, <laughs> the hippies have been using drugs and lighting rivers on fire. It seemed like this was good business, right? We are— uh, which, we, would, which would be true of— Of any Infrastructure culture. legislation today, yeah. it just doesn't happen. Um, and also, a lot of these programs were already in— uh, in the process, right? Mm. Government was already considering this. There was already an environmental movement. It's just, how are you going to argue with this picture of the river on fire? Um, the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement was signed. Um, Love the GLQA. <laughs> this is, God, you're good at that. You just, you pick I'm, out the- I'm not, I missed the W actually. Uh, uh, 1970 was the first Earth Day, right? So this, it all, right. just within a couple of years, 
It, um, when does all the Love Canal cleanup stuff start? That's right? later. That's the late 70s okay. or, you know, mi- mid to late 70s. And you know what? Love Canal and the Sutton Who are both on my, uh, on my list. Come Su- soon. Sutton Who is completely separate. Yeah. Well, why, why, why? It's really Wait, not, it's nothing to do with that. They, they're next to each other on my list. So every time I see Love Canal... I, I think about Viking longboats yeah, immediately on the canal. Sutton Hoo. And I don't, it, it's, it's lost. Those two words have lost all meaning to me. Knock, knock. <laughs> Who's there? Sutton. <laughs> Sutton Hoo. I don't know what that means. Wah, wah, wah. Uh, but the Cuyahoga fire remained in our national consciousness long after. Um, actually, Randy Newman wrote a song about it right in, in that time. Called, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, called Burn On. Uh, he wrote that in 1972, but then it, within the Generation X culture, most famously, uh, REM wrote their stern denunciation of of uh, American expansionism and industrialization. Right. It, it goes all the way back to like that song is not just about a river fire; it's also about Indians and settlers. Yeah, and it's about stealing lands from the natives and and look what we did with it. Look right. how look what a bad job we've done. Yeah, that was in 1986, and I think that is something that kind of kept it like that. That's where I learned about the Cuyahoga river fire was. I had to look it up. Cause I was like, what's the song about? Yeah. Right. Like the Michael stopped going, Cuyahoga. life is a rich pageant. It, it was, out. it was in 86, but now, uh, if you go to Cleveland, Cleveland has, uh, partly as a result of, well, trying to clean up the Cuyahoga cause it's still somewhat of a, of a, uh, river in danger, but they've, uh, Cleveland has kind of has largely deindustrialized or at least tried to. The, and, and part of that is a lot of cities have taken these inner like harbor cores and tried to draw visitors in yeah. by making them the coolest part of town. Yeah. Cleveland rebranded, re, re, rebranded and also rebranded, uh, the area as the flats, which they made a, like a, tried to make a bustling clubbing rock and roll, cool kid part of Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland's a big town still. Um, but upriver on the Cuyahoga, there's this really kind of beautiful national park on either side of the river uh, that's full of bike trails. And it's actually, you know, conveys a kind of wild river vibe, although it's downstream of, you know, these decaying right. Rust Belt towns upriver. Uh, so, so the cleanup worked. The cleanup largely worked, although the Cuyahoga still has um, has some issues, and in, including I think the the river bottom is a is a uh, EPA disaster site. Like there are still all kinds of awful heavy metals and stuff well, down there. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, they they continue to dredge the river, and they dredge it now. The river's twenty seven feet deep. Where if it were left alone, it would be one foot deep and full of spawning fish. Tugboats would have to tuck up their bottoms though. Yeah. Um, but so it's a, it's a super fun site. Uh, but also now a place of, of river walks and a super fun site. A super fun. Let's put the super fun back in super fund. Uh, all of this culminates Ken in the Cuyahoga last year being designated as America's river of the year. <laughs> we, Every year we have a river? We have a river of the year, and the river of the year is the river that's made, it's kind of like student of the year, uh, it's the river that's made the greatest progress. Oh, I see. It's most improved. Yeah. The NBA has that. So the river of the year would be, in America, would be uh, the Missouri every year if it weren't for the fact that, you know, the Missouri, what can you say about the Missouri year after year? Uh, so every year, a new river gets gets this honor, gets the white ribbon. And it was the Cuyahoga last year. People's sexiest river alive. Yeah, and that's, that's right. the and that's the idea. It's it's uh, okay. This is yeah. This I'm reading. This is give, given by American Rivers, which is uh, which is a major some kind of not, rivers nonprofit. Yep. Who who announced that June? Oh, June. While we're recording this is National Rivers Month. What are you doing for National Rivers Month? Uh, I'm going to go to Slippery Rock, Oregon, and slip down uh, oh. a rock, a very slippery rock in Oregon. I'm going to just light the Cuyahoga on fire. Well, this this show will not air until a- after River Month. But next year, make sure you celebrate. 
Okay, this is kind of new. This yeah, this started in 2019. Oh, I guess it was two years ago. This started in 2019 with the announcement of America's River of the Year. Oh, that's the 50th anniversary of the Cuyahoga Fire. There we go. Hey, hey. Last year it was the Delaware. But I guess for the last 34 years, American Rivers has announced their 10 most endangered rivers. Oh, boy. This year, oh, the snake is endangered. Oh, well, I should also say I guess that- it's a salmon- uh, the, the Cuyahoga was also extensively dammed in the 20th century to generate power, and during the you know the uh, the boom time of hydroelectric uh, damming, and now a lot of the dams on the Cuyahoga, and that you know the dams just increased the kind of slow moving sludginess, sludgy rancidness of the river. That's how um, you get Ninja Turtles, though. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but a lot of those dams are now getting torn down as part of the restoration of rivers movement. So some of your, we're going to, in our lifetime, see a lot of those Cuyahoga dams, uh, consigned to the dam bin of history. <laughs> the dam wastebasket of history. The, uh, this year, the raccoon river is the ninth most endangered river. I have never heard of the raccoon. It's river. apparently a small Iowa river, which has been contaminated by factory farms. So oh sure, all the all possibly the, of raccoons, all the the uh, the the poop and the uh, yeah. antibiotics. Des Moines drinking water is now full of whatever awful stuff gets used in these factory farms. So um, hormones, hormones from cows are giving uh, puberty is now starting at age four yeah. in Des Moines. Mm, oh dear. So thank you, American Rivers, for bringing visibility to all the problems of the of the Raccoon River. But, at and least thank it's not you, on fire. Thank you, futurelings in the dozens, for suggesting and resuggesting the Cuyahoga River fire. You can now leave us alone. And that concludes the Cuyahoga River fire slash fires. Entry 309.IS4302, certificate number 12398 in the omnibus. Uh, hopefully we continue to progress as a species, and much as we cleaned up our rivers, we clean up the sludginess of our skies and... I was going to say internet. Oh. Internet's very sludgy. Do you feel like we can clean up? Well, we have to take down the dams. Wait, no. No, don't take down the dams on the internet. Build more dams. More dams. More dams and less sludge. Uh, But uh, in our day, uh, we were on social media at Omnibus Project. I'm at Ken Jennings. You can find at John Roderick, uh, especially on his Patreon. Uh, You could email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Um, to send in your suggestions for shows. Suggest Sutton Who and uh, Love Canal. Yeah, that's that's going right. to be one show. One show. Love Canal, Sutton Who. Love Canal backed with Sutton Who. There will be a, the, for the rest of my life, I will I will have those two just burned because they've both been on my list for three years. It's like the Dr. Seuss book, Sutton Here's a Who. You could mail us uh, physical items. Please mail us all your Nixon era memorabilia to Omnibus Project, PO Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. We will critique it. We'll rank it on a scale of one to ten. We will uh, decide if it's um, if it's one of America's uh, ten most endangered uh, uh, gar- uh, river garbage pieces. Mm-hmm. You could. Um, find fellow Futurelings in our era uh, just by looking for the Futurelings group on Facebook or Reddit or Discord or what have you. Uh, The best way to support the show, however, as always, is with the Patreon. Um, Of our tens of thousands of listeners, what, somewhere north of, somewhere around 1,500 of them, I think, uh, actually financially support the show every month, without which... Uh, omnibus would end and, that is and a, rivers would light on fire and you wouldn't even know anymore. We are deeply grateful for that support. You know, Ken is a, uh, internationally fam- or rather nationally famous, um, millionaire. If you count Canada. Whereas, uh, but the thing about him being a, is a, a nationally famous millionaire is that he really silos his industries. So for instance, when he and I go out to tacos, he's like, well, over here, I'm a millionaire, but here at the taco restaurant, I am just a regular guy who only has five dollars, and that's that's how I get away with paying no income tax. That's right. That's uh, that's how Duff McKagan is when he takes his band Loaded out. He's like, well, 
Oh, is, when, this, is, that, is this how he manages to not pick up the tab places? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, Duff is very generous, but when, but he, you know, it's important to him that when loaded tours, they tour on their own merits. And so on, you know, when he's in Guns N' Roses, I see. he's getting flown from show to show on a solid gold jet. But in, um, in loaded, he wants loaded, loaded's own industry to pay their way. But he also wants a tour bus because he's Duff McKagan. So it ends up that Loaded um, is always stretched really thin. <laughs> At the airport, he always says, I'm Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses. Right. Welcome to the Port of Seattle. He never says, I'm Duff McKagan from Loaded, a band named after my favorite kind of baked potato. What do I say at the airport? Do you just say I'm John Roderick? Hi, this is John Roderick from, I don't say from the Long Winners, from the Long Winners. Make sure you don't leave your baggage unattended on the airport concourse. You, you should have one of those. I should replace you. They're like, yeah, John's out of the rotation no, now. come on. Hey, this is Bean Dad. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Welcome to the city of Seattle. Boo. What is your, does your say not to leave your luggage unattended? I said that I, they had me do 10 of them. I've, yeah, I've, I've heard you at the airport before for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it might be all musicians. Oh, right, right, right. Because they've got the live music at the, in the concourse yeah, now. The city and, of rock and roll. We stole it from Austin. We saw Austin make their airport music-y. You know what? That's exactly what we did. Well, the music commission, we were down there at South by Southwest, and somebody was like, hey, Austin's airport's really cool. Why don't we do that? And we did it. Keep Seattle Austin-like. Yeah. That's what we always Look say. Look at us now. Uh, so thank you to those who support if you've been tempted but have not done it now's the time go to omnibus uh, go to patreon.com slash omnibus project and see how you could support this show so that so that it's you know it's very separate so Ken Ken and I can ride in his tour bus <laughs> it's true none of the Jeopardy money gets funneled into omnibus that's for sure I don't want John to see a cent of that uh, but you get cool stuff if you support the show yep it's a cool thing it's a whole subculture it's a bonus episode a month. If, if this wasn't enough for you, if this and the nine other shows this month weren't <laughs> enough for you, uh, you could get a, a tenth one absolutely free. That's right. It's like a sandwich card. A tenth one where we mea culpa a lot. Future links from our vantage point in your distant past. We have no idea how long our civilization survived, but we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word, but if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus.